This is One in 54, a presentation of Anderson Center for Autism. One in 54 is a weekly show devoted to topics related to autism spectrum disorder. Good morning and welcome to One in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, Chief Development Officer at Anderson Center for Autism. And this morning I'm speaking with Danny Lovecchio, who is the Executive Director and Co-Owner of Bridge Kids New York. Good morning, Danny. Good morning, Eliza. It's really nice to have you on the show. Um, so I know that the, the bulk of our conversation today is going to be about Bridge Kids New York and the services you offer and, and how it was, how it came to be and what the future holds. Um, but let's go back in time a little bit. And if you could just share some information about yourself um, and, and your entree into the field of uh, working with children with autism, that'd be great. Of course. Um so I started off at Loyola uh, College in Maryland, and I was an education major. And because it's a Jesuit uh, university, you do a lot of volunteering. And I was volunteering in downtown Baltimore for a school with children um, on the autism spectrum. And I was there just, you know, to get volunteer hours. I wasn't really, you know, it wasn't something that I had chosen to go to. Um, I was in the room and I saw this woman coming and taking the, a student out for a little bit and then bringing them back. And I'm like, what is that woman doing? Like the one-on-one -on -one time was so intriguing to me um, and a lot more, I think, less intimidating than managing an entire classroom. So that was my first experience in a classroom with children with autism. And what that lady ended up doing, she was a speech pathologist. Mm -hmm. And I changed my major because of that experience. And so I completed my undergraduate degree in speech and language pathology and audiology at Loyola. And throughout my time there, I was just drawn to individuals with autism. I nannied 35 minutes away from campus just to be able to work with a family that had the sweetest 10 year old boy um, who I still keep in touch with to this day, which is oh, cool. Yeah. And uh, how, old, how old is he now? He is in his 20s. Wow. That's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and he had such a great family and it was such a great experience for me as I was, you know, learning the, you know, the academics and the coursework around it, but then actually getting to have a really special person and personal bond with an, with somebody on the spectrum. Um, I then went on after graduating to um, attend my graduate school at Montclair State University in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. um, and during this experience, I had some early intervention exposure, um, but not a ton of exp exposure to children on the spectrum, but it was still something that was my heart was pulling me towards. Um, I ended up getting my first job out of grad school at an ABA center, um, an early intervention center on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. I walked in, I, it was a rainy day in Manhattan. I walked in, I took a tour of the classroom. I fell in love with every child I met and I accepted the job without even knowing the salary because I just knew this is like where I want to be. This is the population I want to work with. I just felt like, I just felt such a draw to to this population. So it was an ABA center mm -hmm. and I went in with my speech hat on and I was like, okay, great. You guys can do your ABA, but I'm a speech pathologist. Oh. I, quick, I quickly learned that 
I, I drank the Kool-Aid, the ABA Kool-Aid, <laughs> and I fell in love. I ended up doing my, getting my BCBA while I was there, getting my supervision hours there. Um, it was an amazing experience. I ended up becoming the speech um, department head there and mm-hmm. training a couple CFYs to also, who also became um, BCBAs. Um, so the, the joining of speech and ABA was really for me like made the most sense because I wanted to be able to offer the most support possible to um, people with autism. Great story. Um, I always love when people, everybody's story is different. Some people really have sort of always known that this is what they wanted to do and they went to school directly for it. A lot of people I talk to are personally um, connected to somebody on the autism spectrum and it's kind of driven their career in a certain direction. Um, Some parents I talk to who develop businesses purposely so that their adult children with autism remain employed and have something to do. There's always a story, but but, uh, I like how you strike me as the kind of person who just, you kept, you kept saying yes to opportunities um, because they felt right. And, and that's definitely something that for a lot of us um, carries us pretty far. So that's great. Um, I wanted to mention that I also, uh, my first job out of graduate school was in early intervention in the Bronx, um, oh. in Brooklyn. And I was a service coordinator um, because I was in school for social work. That was my degree. And um, what I loved about EI was uh, of course, the families and the kids, but also because I, I went to people's homes, right? So I was sort of the initial person to introduce the idea of early intervention to them. Um, working with people like speech pathologists, OTs, PTs, the sometimes the turnaround time on seeing a difference mm-hmm. was so fast that it almost seemed magical. It was amazing the plasticity of these kids' brains and their bodies and um I, I still to this day, this is a long time ago now, it is in the 90s, but I, um, I, a lot of those kids, I'll never forget. They were so little, but, you know, I had an entire family on my caseload where there were five uh, adopted kids who were all born HIV positive, were all born to a birth mother who was addicted to drugs, um, and they were fostered by this amazing woman. But when I first walked into their house, they didn't make a sound. It was it was it was weird. It was it was a yeah. tiny little apartment, and they just didn't make a sound. They were all selectively mute, and then they started working with a speech language pathologist. And I feel like it was a couple of weeks later. I went back, and they were chitter chattering away. And it was just it was awesome to see how happy they were that they had been able to prompt um, verbal speech. It was just it was just amazing. So I'm I'm going off on a tangent, but when you said that, I was like, I know, I remember that feeling. We're like, this is it. This is what's making a difference. Yes. Um, so. Very cool. Um, Well, okay. So in that light, um, let's just, let me just ask you a little bit more of a detailed question about um, the combination of the background in speech and language and also uh, board certified in in behavior analysis. Um, You said before you drank the Kool-Aid, back in the day around here at Anderson, I once oversaw the clinical department, which was our group of board certified behavior analysts. It has since evolved and changed. But back then, I remember that phrase. (laughs) It's like it's it's been a little bit controversial over the years, which is why I think people kind of say that that there is a sense that it's sort of all or nothing. Can you talk a little bit about what it what, what you think the positives are being able to come at it with a slightly unique perspective and also heavy training and experience from a completely different but obviously connected um, domain? 
Yeah, so you're definitely right about there being, there's actually a ton of friction between the two fields. I mean, there are like Facebook groups dedicated um, for speech pathologists who hate ABA. (laughs) And yeah, it's, it's, it's sad because there is so much overlap of what we, what both, what both fields offer to the children. Um, But yeah, so for me, you know, in grad school and in my other experiences, I was taught if I had a session with a child who was either, you know, on the autism spectrum and not verbal and, you know, had difficulty attending to the speaker or had interfering behaviors and weren't used to sitting down. And, you know, I didn't understand how to set up the situation for them to succeed. All I was taught was the child is behavioral. And I would write on my session note, child was behavioral, no session occurred or no data today. Mm -hmm. And that was the norm. And this was, I mean, I was in grad school in 2007, so it's not that long ago. And that is kind of how the, at least at that point, that was how we were taught to kind of, you know, do our job with different types of children that, you know, weren't perfect little angels sitting there ready to, you know, do their lessons, which is not, not many kids are like that, you know, any, any type of child. Right. Right. Uh, You know, so what I loved about my ABA training was I, I got to learn the science of behavior and how can I set up this environment so this child will learn. I loved the results that I saw, you know, and I was able to go in and be like, um, that's not the man that I would pick for this child because, you know, he has these sounds in his inventory or I've noticed during my language sample that he can put three words together when he's very motivated. So let's push him on this way. And so I was able to bring my knowledge of speech and language development and speech and language norms and disorders to the field of ABA who, you know, they're, they're the behavior experts, but they're not the language and speech experts necessarily or feeding. I also do feeding therapy. So it was, you know, for me, I was missing the one huge component of a successful session was being able to really set the learner up for success. And you can have goals and lesson plans all day, but if you don't have participation of the child you're working with, it's meaningless. And so for me, it was, I guess, did that answer the question? Yeah, well, it sounds like, I mean, to some degree, you you became a more credible collaborator, potentially, because you took the time to say, okay, let me really understand and, and become trained and knowledgeable in the other or another, at least main component of each of these child's um, team. And uh, so I get that. I think that, I mean, I think that any sort of crossover is always really important because we are working with individual people um, and then their families. And let's not forget that once they leave their sessions, they're going home to a family dynamic where you're not there and neither is the, you know, the rest of the team or the the um the service providers the rest of the team is the family right um and so so i I, it does make sense to me and i just want i appreciate you going into that detail a little bit because it's a model that um is probably still emerging for a lot of people so it'd be interesting to see if if any if this sparks somebody out there listening to say maybe that's what i want to do um we're going to take a quick break when we get back i'd like to ask you to um kind of get more in detail with what you do at um at bridget Bridge Kids New York and how you started that business up and who goes and how you can get involved. So this is One in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and we'll be right back. Pass it on. Imagine a little lady who wouldn't give up her seat on the bus, a TV host who wanted to be your neighbor, 
or an inventor whose 10,000 failures didn't stop him. These vivid images all share the same caption, inspiration. These people just did their best and they inspire us. Now, what will you do to inspire others? Inspiration is in you. From PassItOn.com. And now, 1 in 54 continues on 100.7 WHUD. This is a weekly community affairs program presented by the Anderson Center for Autism. Welcome back to 1 in 54, the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder. I'm your host, Eliza Bozenski, and I'm speaking today with Danny Lovecchio, who is the executive director and co-owner of Bridge Kids New York. Danny, uh, welcome back. And um, thank you for that uh, really great explanation of your background and your thoughts on what makes um sort of your your dual um, training and certification really helpful for the people that you're working with. So um, I think that was really interesting. And like I said before the break, uh, ideally, there's people listening who are might maybe in school or thinking about going back to school. Um, there certainly is, you know, education is a wonderful degree to get. But if you're, you know, uh, impacted by Danny's story and you want to get to know some other things that you can do and still work with children, these are all uh, great opportunities. So thank you for that. Um, let's get into Bridge Kids New York. So, so you were in grad school, you got a job working in EI, you got inspired, you sort of rose through the ranks there. Um, I'm sure you ha- impacted the lives of a lot of children and families and, and colleagues. How did Bridge Kids New York get started? So at the time, um, I have a partner uh, who's the other owner of Bridge Kids. Her name is Dr. Perry Sessions, and she's a licensed psychologist in a BCBA. And she was the director of the early intervention program that I was at. So I was the speech director and she ran the program. And, you know, us together with a few other colleagues really took the whole center into our own hands, even though we weren't the owners. And we created this intense training program. Um, You know, we wanted, we were so proud of the work that we were doing and we wanted to be known as the best ABA early intervention in the city. And, um, you know, we, we wanted to put time and effort into training our, our ABA therapists that we were hiring and that didn't always work with the management. Um, they were kind of a little bit more concerned about getting the classrooms in and full and, you know, the business side of things. And we were, you know, prioritizing the clinical side. So the motivation to start Bridge Kids came from wanting to take our passion and not have the restrictions of owners. <laughs> we wanted to be able to, to do, the, do it on our own. And so um, I left my job part-time and started doing private cases um, and then built up that. And Perry eventually left. And we started, both of us, just working the two of us. Um, we worked like we built like 30 hours a week. I was going from Brooklyn to Manhattan, you know, back in a day. And, you know, we were doing workshops at all these different schools and how can we get our name out? And we did, you know, we were doing, when we started hiring, we did interviews in Starbucks cause we didn't have an office, but um, we, you know, we were slow to grow because we, we wanted to do it the right way. Um, a few of our ABA therapists who had left the EI agency years ago came back to us and said, oh, I have all these new credentials. Can I work for you? So we started and um, we started in 2014. So we're turning seven this May. Mm -hmm. 
and you know we have an office space now we um we have a staff of 24 BCBAs and one BCABA. Um, all of our therapists are licensed or have their limited permits. Mm-hmm. Um, and we provide a range of therapies. We provide home-based ABA. We also do a lot of work with education attorneys um, where a family may sue the DOE for a violation of FAPE and they are entitled to, they request ABA services and then we provide them. So we push into some D75 schools with our learners because there just isn't a placement that's appropriate for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So we do that. We, uh, we provide, we, we offer a parent support group monthly for our families. Um, We also provide Clinic-based services, we do FBAs, behavior plans, um, we do speech and language evals, Mm -hmm. we do um, school evaluations where if a child is, you know, sometimes in a private school, they want us to come in and sort of observe what's going on and make it, create a behavior plan for them. Um, What else do we do? (laughs) We do so much. Um, I'm I'm sure I'm blinking on stuff now, but yeah, mostly we yeah, go ahead. I well, I was. I have a question. So if you yeah. want to, yeah, you, yeah. you can uh, get more. First, let's let's always um, throw out the website for Bridge Kids New York as often as we can. Because if anything you miss, people should go to the website and get information. So what is that? www.bridgekidsny.com, and we actually have really um, active social media on okay. Inst- on Instagram. We're at Bridge Kids NY, and we're also on Facebook. All right, great. So let's just repeat that. So it's Bridge Kids New York at bridgekidsny.com or org? Dot uh, com. Dot com. Okay. And then Instagram, you're at Bridge Kids New York and Facebook is a good place to find you. So um, so just so everybody listening can get more information. But um, I do have a question and uh, I don't want to, you know, we don't have to spend the whole rest of the time on it, but you mentioned home-based services, pushing into school classrooms, Um, parent support groups. Uh, Now, before March of 2020, I can really imagine how all that happened um, because so much of it is is in person. um, And, you know, working at Anderson, you know, the idea that people with autism are, are sort of happier, you know, behind a screen or in front of a screen interacting that way is just a myth. Um, they are highly affected, I think, by the lack of person-to-person uh, contact. We are a residential campus, and so we've never lost that. But there was a period where there was a huge um, huge issue with families being able to take their children home, mm-hmm. feeling comfortable that they'd be able to take them back. In the very beginning, it was really touch and go about when the, what the regulations were saying to residential programs. So I'm curious about um, how you've handled the pandemic. I think everybody probably wants you to mention, are you still offering those services? Are they Zoom-based? Are, they, are you doing any in person? How are you doing that? So I remember it like it was yesterday, but the week before, we basically worked for that entire weekend to come up with telehealth and to, you know, to learn this new language and new um, way of doing things. Um, And, you know, of course, every child and individual we work with is so different. They have different strengths, different challenges. Um, but we were, you know, wanted to give it a go with everyone. And I'm so pleased to, to say that 
almost every single one of our clients opted in for the telehealth learning. Now, some of our some of our people that we work with get 35 hours a week of ABA. And you can't sit anybody in front of a screen, obviously, for that amount of time. So we started with, I mean, some of our clients, we started with 15-minute sessions like four times a day just to get them used to what's expected of them, just get them used to seeing us over a computer screen, um, help the parents or caregivers who are with them get used to what this is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that. And, you know, then we gradually would build those sessions up or space them out. We had some clients who are able to have really productive sessions for like a two hours at a time. Um, some of our some of our clients, we kept to that, you know, 45 minute cap, but we did multiple sessions a day. Um, it actually opened a lot of doors regarding parent training um, because, you know, parents had no choice but to be home. Everyone had no choice but to be home, most of our parents. And they were the ones with their child, you know, at the computer and being the child's teacher. And we, you know, it looked different for everybody, but all I can say is like the pride, like the pride we have for our families and our and our clients for what they were able to accomplish and our therapists, to be honest with you. It was just all around so amazing. And yes, without a doubt in person is, you know, so much more meaningful and impactful. But wow, if we didn't underestimate the ability to make of our whole team, clients, parents, therapists to make progress in this in this capacity, I mean it's it's incredible yeah however we were very eager to go back you know to in person so Mm -hmm. we we did open up in-person learning in september um but to err on the side of caution we limited one therapist to one household yeah typically our therapists may have two to three clients um we wanted to really kind of control the exposure or potential exposures um, and we only had therapists that were comfortable doing that, doing that. So we, you know, not all of our therapists jumped right into that. Um, but we tried, you know, we, we wanted everyone to be comfortable. It was such a weird time and we value our staff so much that, you know, we didn't want anyone having to make a choice that would put them, you know, in a, in a weird position. So we opened in person one, one therapist per one house in September. And then the beginning of March, we opened therapists into two homes or two therapists into one home. So, you know, we're so happy things are getting closer to normal. Um, we were able to onboard three new therapists during this last year using right. virtual training. We have a very intensive onboarding program for every new, every new employee that we hire, but that was also a challenge, but also came up with like so many positives from that. Um, and yeah, so we hope to, as the world continues to go back to normal, a lot of us were able to get vaccinated and have the comfort level of our therapists and our families are rising. And um, we hope we cannot wait to go back to hopefully how it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our families have chosen to keep their children home from from the school because we were not comfortable sending our therapists in with them. Mm-hmm. So some of our therapists go and support the child in their remote learning all day. So they're the ones in person mm-hmm. with the child, helping them access their remote curriculum. Um, other things that we, you know, work on is we're, we're, we're paying more attention to ADLs where we're, you know, there with the family and the family's more involved now. And oh, you know, right. 
I, I, I think that's really great. We are low on time. I just wanted to thank you for that. Um, and also, I think it's, it's wonderful that you were able to continue through telehealth for a period of time because uh, it's so empowering for everybody. Um, I probably, most importantly, the individual child that you're working with to recognize that they didn't just stop everything. Uh, we certainly did that here. We had a focus on that here as well, where you needed to have some level of a sense of continuing to make progress so that when you picked up again in person, in whatever capacity, you know, to first, you know, safety's sake, that there was a sense that you were still in a, in a different place than you were when, when this all hit us last year. So, um, so I think that's great. It really sounds like the future is bright for you and for Bridge Kids New York. And I appreciate you coming on the show, Danny. Um, there's my timer um so let me just say again it's bridgekidsny.com or follow on instagram at bridgekidsnewyork or follow you on facebook danny lovecchio from bridge kids new york thank you so much for being on the show thank you this is one in 54 the weekly talk show on topics related to autism spectrum disorder i'm your host eliza bozenski and remember anderson cares you've been listening to one in 54 a presentation of anderson center for autism Join us for another edition of the show at the same time next week.